I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. We have a very special guest on today's episode. I'd like to switch things over quickly to Doug to introduce this brilliant idea that we have, and I don't want to steal your thunder or anything. So, Doug, who do we have on today, and what's the premise of today's show? Yeah, so today we're going to be chatting with Matt Brown. Uh, Matt was most recently... Uh, writing about college football for SB Nation as part of their team. Um, unfortunately, he got furloughed recently as part of the coronavirus um, response. He continues to write his e- email newsletter called Extra Points, which you can subscribe at mattbrown.substack.com. Um, you can get two for free, subscribe for $7 to get an additional two. Um, as far as uh, intelligent college football, nuanced college football. If you're interested in kind of that next level stuff, I would highly recommend it. I think the one I read today was about the oil crisis from last week and how that's going to affect um, programs like Texas A&M and all that. So if you're interested in um, kind of the next level of college football coverage, definitely check that out. He also wrote a book that you can buy on Amazon titled What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions. So we thought it would be a good perspective. Matei and I obviously is I, I graduated from Virginia Tech. My dad went to Virginia Tech. Matei also graduated for, from Virginia Tech. We're kind of intertwined in the day-to-day operations of what's happening in Blacksburg, but I think it's a good opportunity to get a little outside perspective from somebody who has a different, um, a different lens. So it's a long intro, but welcome, Matt. Glad to have you. Um, how's it going? Hey, man. Th- thanks so much. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on here. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk about I think a really fun and interesting college football program, and I, I appreciate the plug for the newsletter. It's it's this is, it's been a really really exciting project for me. I've been doing this for about a year, and and seeing the response, especially over the past couple of days, when you would imagine that would be a pretty emotional time, uh, has been has been has really deeply touched me. I'm, I'm excited that so many people seem to like this, and if you're interested in you know finance or politics or demographics and how those things impact college football, I think you might like extra points too. So quickly on the newsletter how do you come up with ideas for what to write what is that like yeah so i uh i read a, a bunch of news outlets that are not directly about college athletics right i i'm a subscriber to the sports business journal i, I get uh, a bunch of newsletters about politics and religion and and finance and i i try to comb through here and look for things that i think might you know, have have a little bit of a local tie to this sport, right? Like most of the institutions in college, college football are public institutions. So they are influenced by what's happening with, with state resources. They're influenced by political actors. They're influenced by history and demographics. And, you know, now that I've been writing about college football history and researching for my book for a long time, 
you, you begin to realize that a lot of that stuff really literally dictates how good you are on the field. I mean, I think certainly if you're a fan of, of a Virginia athletic program or a fan of East Coast football and you, you realize uh, when a school decides to start caring about football or what various governors think or how a realignment works and everything, all that stuff is independent from just how well you're recruiting. But certainly that's played a role in Virginia Tech's history and Virginia's history when they basically stopped trying for three decades and William and Mary's <laughs> history when they started trying and got really bad at cheating. And, you know, like all, all of that stuff is just as important to me, I think, as whether you're running a 3-4 or a 4-3. So this is my way of trying to make sense of some of those other things because I don't have to think every single day about the 3-4 the and the 4-3. I could think a little bit more and track more of budget appropriations and uh, right. see if I can if I can bring something that that helps other people's understanding of the sport. Interesting. So that that kind of triggers talking about governors and politics. Um, I don't know if you were following the first realignment back in 2003 when Virginia Tech joined the ACC. Yeah, they were originally on the outside in until Virginia's governor at the time, Mark Warner, got involved and said, told UVA that you're not allowed to vote for anybody else unless Virginia Tech is included. Um, so just a kind of a kind of a, a analogy there of what what happens when politics get involved. But um, oh, yeah. Let's, oh, yeah. Like, let's dive into uh, Virginia Tech. Um, certainly, like I mentioned, Matei and I kind of heavily involved in the day to day what's happening there. But you have a, a from a thirty thousand foot you know perspective. What what is your view of Virginia Tech's football program as a whole? Sure. So I have to be honest with you. Um, over the past couple of years at SB Nation, my, my right-hand person, my chief deputy, uh, you guys might know her. Her name's Caroline Darney, and she's like one of the Internet's most famous Virginia fans. So I didn't come into this job really thinking anything negatively about Virginia Tech, but uh, did, I, did I work every day with somebody <laughs> who was very you know, open to slandering everything south of Charlottesville? <laughs> State? Yeah. Um, did that change my perspective a little bit? You know, a little bit yes, a little bit no. I, I could tell you if I see one more gif of Tony Bennett, I want to throw my computer out the window. <laughs> um, um, what, 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 I, what I can tell you guys, right, I, I grew up in Ohio. I'm from the Columbus area. I live, I live in Chicago now. I've been a Midwesterner most of my life. And so you don't necessarily think about Virginia Tech every single day, but there, there's a very clear – I think brand for what this football represents and has been since I've been about old enough to really understand and watch college football. And that's so much of Beamer's imprint. You're, you're, you're bringing in a, uh, a defense oriented special teams oriented kind of program. Um, you, you have a, a program that that's in a rural area and it's going to eschew some of the, the flashiness of, of maybe some other, other schools that it, it's not, always the most fun to watch but it's always going to be competing at a high level and maximizing the talent that's there and you know that's it's kind of like um an east coast iowa sort sort of program right and you know it's been fun because you know there's been a couple of iowa teams that have had good offenses and and, and i feel like maybe you guys feel differently but for me a lot of what the college football world looked like during my formative years of, of starting the sport, which is like circa 1997 to like 2002, that's still imprinted in the back of my mind somewhere where you still think about those teams in, in that world. I think there's a whole generation of sports writers who in the back of their mind still assume on some level that like Nebraska means something because Nebraska meant something from them when they understood. If you're 20 and you never had that experience, 
you, you think about Nebraska differently. So in the back right. of my mind, I, I'm thinking of the Virginia Tech that's, you know, punking Syracuse and Pitt by 62 points and, <laughs> you know, you know, just destroying people with Vic and destroying people with, with this really aggressive defense and these games with Miami and Syracuse that really, really meant something. And so that unfortunately hasn't been the case, I think, with those particular opponents here for a while. But that's kind of what I think of. And now I'm 33, and I think if you're around my age, no matter where you are in the country, you probably saw Virginia Tech on Thursday nights. You remember some of those really very physical, fast Big East games, and that colors what you're seeing right now. I think if you're 21 and you remember the you know the ACC Coastal where everybody's at 500 and kind of <laughs> slot quarterback play, you have a different opinion. But that's that's what I remember. I know you mentioned Iowa in comparison to Virginia Tech, kind of that blue collar, bring guys up, develop them, turn them into a hard-nosed defense, get whatever you can out of the offense. But just beyond Iowa, is there any more comparable programs do you think that Virginia Tech should strive to be? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the best programs like that right now is Utah. I don't know if anybody is better at taking three-star kids and getting them into NFL draft picks than Utah right now. Utah's getting, you know, is producing more draft picks, I think, than USC over the past couple of years, particularly linemen. If I am a three-star offensive lineman and I have an offer from Washington and I have an offer from Oregon, I have an offer from Utah, and I want to play pro football for a living, I, I, I think real hard about picking Utah. And for a long time, if I was a defensive back, you know, from anywhere on the East Coast, and I had offers from some big higher profile schools, but Virginia Tech wanted me, I'd recommend you go to Virginia Tech because, you know, like that that's a place where you can really maximize that position group. And those people then go on and get paid a lot of money to, to play that position. Um, if I was a if I was a pro style pocket quarterback, maybe I wouldn't feel that way. But but we, we have, you know, Kansas State's an example, Wisconsin, Iowa, Utah. It, it kind of ebbs and flows because so much of it depends on excellent coaching, particularly at the assistant coach level. But you can win a lot of football games and have a really good home atmosphere and compete for conference titles occasionally with that blueprint. And we we had a decade plus of Virginia Tech doing that. And I think it's possible to do it again. So when you look at a program like Virginia Tech, what's, you know, everybody wants to look at, you know, how do you get the playoff? Um, what is the ceiling for Virginia Tech? Can Virginia Tech be a, be a playoff program? Or what, you know, when you're talking about how much better they can get? Yeah, that that's a good question, and and maybe maybe you all have seen my uh, I guess he's I guess he's your your colleague now. He was my colleague for a long time, but Elliot, who's written about the principle of the blue chip ratio theory, which states that in order for in order for a team to win a national title, you need to recruit more four and five star players than three star players, and generally there's about a dozen or so schools that do that each year, and it's rare that a team that doesn't hit that metric makes the playoff at all. And they've never won a national title. And the teams that that have made the playoff, with I think one exception, have had an elite quarterback and have been at least close to that level. And uh, I don't have the chart in front of me. I don't think Virginia Tech is especially close. Like you're getting a couple of four-star kids every year, and sometimes those pan out and sometimes those don't. But generally, you're recruiting closer to the 25, 30, 35 range than the top 15. And if that's the case, I think your ceiling is a division title, you know, 10 wins, and every so often upsetting Clemson, but probably not winning a title unless you get another Michael Vick. Um, if you have a, just a transformational dude uh, there or at pass rusher, I think you can overcome things a little bit. And we can look at Virginia Tech and we can say, listen, school's got a great athletic director. It's got a great fan base. It's got some money. 
massive stability with the cable deal. And it's in a state that is has two metropolitan areas that are transforming and bringing in lots of good talent. And this hasn't been the case recently, and it hasn't been the, the case in a little while. I guess we can talk about that. But a lot of those best kids aren't going to Tech. They're going to Penn State. They're going to Michigan. They're going into the SEC. And if a world changed where that wasn't the case, yeah, I, th- I think your ceiling goes up. It's obviously going to be tricky when Clemson's essentially like an NFC South team right now. But <laughs> like there, there is a pathway, just like there is hypothetically a pathway for Maryland, right? Or hypothetically a pathway for these other schools. I don't know how realistic that is, but there's a lot of teams that would love to have a ceiling of, of 10 wins and a division title, right? Like that, there, there's, not, there, that, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and you mentioned Clemson and kind of what they've – um, done and since really the last four or five years back to Deshaun Watson where they kind of jumped from maybe a Virginia Tech level where they were at for many many years and now they've certainly entered you know probably the highest echelon they could be at with Alabama basically as their only competition maybe Ohio State those kind of programs but how 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 difficult would that be for you know not for Virginia Tech or any program to kind of replicate what Clemson has done so what you need to do that is total institutional alignment and commitment. So at Clemson, everybody from the president to the provost to the athletic director to their top boosters all said, we are going to spend and whatever it takes and make whatever institutional sacrifices are necessary to have this kind of football program. It's, you know, we, we can debate you know, whether that's the right decision to make. That it depends on and every different institution, my alma mater, Ohio State. Uh, I think has mostly done the same thing. And that allows you to bring in not just a, a high caliber of, of recruit, but, you know, Clemson's paying assistant coaches a million plus. You're, you're, you're saying we're going to make our coordinators de facto G5 head coaches. And that's a lot of money. And we're going to make a gigantic investment in our facilities. And they've had people willing to do that and uh, and make those sacrifices. And that is something that even some blue chip schools aren't doing right now like that hasn't that institutional alignment hasn't been there at usc it, it's definitely not there at ucla it's not there at some other programs that have you know have won or competed for national titles before so if virginia tech decides to go all in um there are consequences and there are side effects to that on the academic side uh, on for on the non-revenue side on, on you know there's I, I'm, I'm not making a moral judgment here or anything i'm just saying like that's you have to make a commitment to those resources and if you're willing to do that then could Virginia Tech out-recruit Miami or continuously out-recruit North Carolina and elevate itself? Yes. If not, that's completely okay. You can still have a really good college football team and some more balance, but you won't be Clemson. Looking in the future a little bit, I mean, the ACC Coastal has been a fun division. I wouldn't say it's been a good division by any stretch. Uh, Miami kind of falling closer to the average here. And, you know, in, in the last seven years, there's been seven different winners. Do you see any sort of consistency coming up, any programs that should be at the top? Or how do you really see the ACC Coastal panning out for the next five years? And it's, it's, it's such a good question because you look at this on paper, it seems pretty clear that it should be you guys in Miami near the top every year because those are the schools that have histor- like historically over the last 15 years brought in the best recruits and uh, for a while have had better coaching. And now we look at this division and one – there's been a ton of coaching turnover and, uh, and instability with assistant coaches, instability with administrators. Uh, I, I mean, who's, who's, who's been there the longest? It's cut, but like everyone else, I feel like has made a change over the last three or four years. 
and and could potentially happen again once schools are allowed to fire people. So that makes things challenging. Miami has a, a, a you know all this potential and all these administrative problems that that and you know on the field problems that have made it difficult for them to get out of their own way. I think that Georgia Tech and Duke have pretty hard and fast ceilings that would require really a, a special class to kind of overcome. And everything else just it depends on execution. Um, as, a, as a tech fan, I think I'd be a, a little bit nervous that I think Virginia's recruiting has gotten – it's improved. It, it, that was always my big worry about Mendenhall. And I've, 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 you know, you've written a lot about BYU. I've, I've, I've followed him his career for a long time. And you bring in a staff of, of all Utah guys and you send them to the East Coast. And guys that never had the reputation for being great recruiters, that looked like, oh, they're, they're just going to get swallowed up by all these guys that actually have experience on the 95 corridor. And now they're, they're getting guys, they're getting guys from Ohio. They're getting guys from Virginia. They're getting guys all, all over the East coast. And that, you know, obviously erodes your competitive advantage. But if, if you just look at, if you, if you, if the guys you're bringing in develop, like you expect them to, and the coaches you're paying a lot of money for execute, like you'd expect them to, you should expect to be near the top of this division most years. Um, this division has not gone according to type recently, which is fun for me. It's frustrating for yeah. y'all, but, but that's that's how I would expect things to go eventually. One of the things as a ACC program, for if you're a fan of any team, is you're always comparing yourself to the SEC, and how can we get to that level for whatever you want to call it, respect or talent. Obviously, what they did with the NFL draft over the weekend was something else, but. Um, what programs in the ACC, you know, need to be need to be better or good enough to compete with the SEC on a, you know, a broader level? For, I mean, if we're just talking football, I feel like I mean, obviously that should be Florida State. There, there's there's simply no excuse for that program to have fallen as bad as it did. And we can talk about whether Willie got a, a raw deal or not, but. If you're paying somebody a gajillion dollars and you have all of that infrastructure, and, Virginia, and Florida State's not the richest program among the blue chips or among you know, that kind of level, but you should never have an APR that bad. You should never have like FCS caliber offensive linemen on your roster. Like that, that was just an administrative failure <laughs> at many levels. You shouldn't be that bad. Miami should not be this bad. Like Miami should not, you know, need every bit of turnover luck in the world to have one good season. You should not be getting <laughs> blown up by by Louisiana Tech physically. That's that you screwed up. North Carolina, I think, should be better, and 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 they, I think they will be better uh, in 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 the next year or two. The, the, one of the issues I think that have hurt that, that's hurt the ACC and nationally, you don't quite hear about this quite as much because Clemson's been at the level that they are, but the middle of this league is not as good as it should be. The bottom has has, has has raised. Like you know, give me the worst ACC teams. Bring me you know, Louisville or Boston College or 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 you know whoever, or Wake, or Wake yeah. yeah, and put them against Rutgers or Illinois, and the ACC team's going to win by double digits. You know, send them and they'll beat the crap out of Arizona or, or Oregon State. But if you don't have a secondary top twenty-five caliber team, if you don't have somebody else that you feel like can carry your banner, your league is not going to get that respect. You don't need to have top to bottom excellence, but you need to have like one elite team and two or five, you know, two, three, four teams that, hey, beating this team will mean something. And the and the SEC has that, and the Big Ten has that, and for coaching attrition and just plain old bad luck, and the fact that Bobby Petrino was involved, <laughs> all these other things, the ACC hasn't had that. And I will be optimistic that they will in the future. I, I like the the trajectory of Syracuse and Louisville and North Carolina, uh, but it's not there yet. 
so when you're talking about that and you know having those major those big games where you know you go and you beat a game and have beat a team and have it matter do you think that however how the ACC scheduling setup has hurt them over the last few years as Clemson um, and even going back farther than that when Florida State was really good where most of the conference isn't playing those those teams enough to to really have that opportunity yeah i i mean i i hate the way the schedule set up now <laughs> I, I, I think it, it just speaks to like 14 is the absolute most you could possibly have because if you're playing some of these out-of-conference opponents more often than your cross-divisional t- opponents are you you're not even you're barely a conference at, at this point like it I, and and i know that notre dame makes this difficult and the number of games that you have are, that are difficult but yeah you if you if you want to be an ascendant program like the, the best way that you're going to get headlines and the best way that you're going to take a step forward is by beating virginia by beating florida state and by beating clemson and it sucks that you you don't get those same opportunities it, it sucks that schools like north carolina and wake forest you like they have to schedule an out of conference game against each other because the the fidelity and the foundation of your conference is compromised so, so like i'll tell you guys like i i have you know, probably 40,000 words saved on this computer for a second book that de- uh, that details the histories of conferences rising and falling. And I'll tell you where leagues generally tend to fall apart is when they expand so much, they don't share geographic, historical, institutional, or financial ties. And I'm not saying the ACC is going to fall apart tomorrow or anything, but if you don't have those regular games against each other and that footprint has changed to where you have a bunch of schools where you don't have that history, you don't have that, that tie-in, it makes it, it makes things harder. Like I, I'm, I'm guessing that you know your fans don't feel the same way about some of the the uh, the other Big East teams or feel about Louisville or some of these other schools as they might a team that they've had much more history with. Or I, I I'm guessing if you had the option to to knock off one team in this com- in your schedule and play West Virginia, maybe you might take it. Um, it's 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 it sucks that this is the way that it is right now, and and it almost every league is struggling with it on some level. Yeah, one of the craziest things is that. I don't know when Louisville joined the ACC. It's been years now, but Virginia Tech's first football game against first ACC game against Louisville will be, or is scheduled to be this fall. So Lamar Jackson is there and captivating college football and Virginia Tech never got to play him. Yeah. And and, and you had good defenses then it would have been good television. Like I know time has no meaning now in quarantine. Like I, I have, was it a week, six hours, two years? God only knows. But yeah, it's it it's 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 very it's very frustrating. And it's frustrating. I mean, if you're Clemson too, if you're like, well, we don't get to play another good team, and we scheduled our out of conference games twelve years in advance. So like, hope South Carolina gets good. Like it's it's, I get why it happens. I get why you're trying to play cake television and everything. But I th- I think it's lousy for fans. You want to be able to have those experiences at other people's stadiums. One hundred percent. I think there's they're starting to make changes, but unfortunately, with the way scheduling works, all these games are going to be in, you know, 2032, 2033. Uh, and by that point, it's going to be like, well, you know, we could have used that 10 years ago. But just moving forward and this may reopen some wounds for Virginia Tech fans here. But back in January, I believe it, Justin Fuente was rumored to be talking to Baylor. Um, yeah. it, as it turns out, he you know was 
uh, strong arming Virginia Tech or whatever you might call it to get more resources implemented into the program. But it had a lot of fans thinking, you know, Baylor is is that the level that Virginia Tech is at? And if he were to go, you know, some of the candidates on, you know, whatever shortlists were out there were, uh, you know, kind of all over the place, some with tons of experience, some that were just starting, you know, G5 programs. So in your opinion, how highly regarded do you think Virginia Tech is if it was an open spot in the coaching carousel? Yeah, you know, one thing that I'm learning the longer I'm in this business is that a lot of coaching hires are kind of crapshoots. You know, you can bring in somebody that has a lot of demonstrated experience and, you know, has some geographical overlap with this area. And if they don't mesh with the athletic director or if they, they make a couple of bad hires for assistance, and that can happen to anybody, and you just get plain unlucky, things don't work out. Like on paper, it seemed like Fuente would be perfect. Somebody who'd had a lot of experience building exciting football teams with, with less resources in uh, similar cultural environments. And for whatever reason, it hasn't meshed. Um, there's been, as I understand it, a fair amount of internal culture problems and people wanting to leave the team and 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 struggling with that cohesion. And, and that could happen anywhere. You could bring in somebody who has no experience, who's only coached on the West Coast in big cities and might be great here. Um, what, what I can tell you is that you know, broadly speaking, this is this is viewed as a place you can win a lot of football games. It's viewed as a place where, you know, all things being equal, we should have equal or superior talent to most of our opponents. We know that we're going to play in a stadium that's going to be mostly full. We know we're going to be on TV a lot. We, we know we have a, an athletic director that is regarded within the industry as as a bare minimum above average. And uh, that's those are all good things. Now, you know, it's, it's not a gig for everybody, right? Like not everybody wants to live in Blacksburg. Not everybody wants to have to deal with Clemson. Not everybody, um, you know, it, it's it's just the same thing for recruits. Like, you know, I love living in Chicago. Chicago's not for everybody. Not not everybody that that, that's, that went to your school is going to want to live in my neighborhood and, and vice versa. So that, that'll take some people off the board. I wouldn't say that it's like viewed as any kind of sleeping giant or anything, but is it a place where you can win a lot of football games and have a good quality of life and have a nice career? Absolutely. Like, you, you, you should not be struggling to find – a good coach like you might if you were at Akron. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. There's some there's some way harder gigs in this league than Virginia. <laughs> yeah. A Wake Forest or even going north to Boston College or something like yeah. that. Or Syracuse, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you've touched on this a little bit uh, with recruiting, talking about what Bud, uh, Bud Elliott had written. Um, but that's cl- clearly the bread and butter of of our side is people following recruiting ins and outs. Um, yeah. So just going back to that, how much, how well does Virginia tech have to recruit to, 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 to win an ACC championship? Well, right now to win an ACC championship, you're going to have to get lucky. And that just means, cause you're going to have to beat Clemson at some point, And Clemson's going to have 12 NFL draft picks. And that's, you know, it's, it's the same thing in the big 10. Like how do you beat Ohio? How do you win a big 10 title? If you're not Ohio state? Well, Ohio State's got to go on probation, or you have to be able to win a game and, and get get a couple of bounces. You can win. I think that if you're recruiting in the top 25 and you're hitting on those blue chip kids, you can win a division title. You can make a New Year's Six Bowl. You can you can have a very successful season. The, the the interesting thing to me with Virginia Tech recruiting, I think speaks to the uniqueness of Virginia right now as a state for high school prospects. Because correct me if I'm wrong, fellas, but the, the way as I understand it, um, you have these two big population centers where you have around Virginia beach and you have around Northern Virginia. 
A lot of the kids that live in Northern Virginia did not grow up rooting for Virginia programs because they might be, you might have military or government parents, and they might have, they might have come from somewhere else, and they're going to bring that rooting interest. It's, that's a part of the country. There's just a gajillion transplants. And that's a little bit of the case around Virginia Beach too, especially if they're military or or have some connection there. This is Maryland has had this problem for a long time, and and, and people trying to recruit San Diego have had this problem, and really all across the Sun Belt. Whereas where I grew up in Ohio, a much older state. Typically, is you you as soon as you are come out of the hospital, you have an Ohio State blanket, and whether you go to that school or not, you have been indoctrinated in Ohio State culture, and then you graduate and you move somewhere else because there's no jobs in Ohio. So it's a little bit easier <laughs> to lock down that kind of state, uh, and 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 Michigan's like this, you know, that way, and some of the Texas schools a little bit. I'm guessing that it's harder for tech, not because they're doing something wrong. Just like it's harder, you know, that's why the Arizona schools can't lock down Arizona. I, I, I'm assuming it's a it's a similar dynamic. Do, do I have that right, do you think? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, also, if you think about it, Northern Virginia, Virginia Beach, multiple, multiple hours away. It's not like the, these are the local kids. They share the same state name. But, you know, that's pretty much it. Yeah, the, certainly very different culturally from from Arlington. To, to the right. Right. So when, when this when this team's been cooking is Virginia Tech has been a thing in Tidewater. Like you've been able to go in there and, and that that means something to come there from from those high schools. And what, what we're, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe there's a Virginia kid in this in the 2021 recruiting class right now. I think there is not. Know. Yeah. And. Why it is possible to build recruiting classes around North Carolina and around Texas and around Pennsylvania and those other places. A bunch of other schools are looking there, too. Uh, to, for me, just like with almost any school, you are going to maximize your recruiting potential if you are able to to convince kids to stay home. And I would say, especially in this class where you can't really get kids on campus and there's a lot of uncertainty, my guess is it would be an easier conversation to convince somebody to play within two hours instead of going up to state college or, or going to Columbus or something. And we'll see if that is what ends up happening with Virginia tech over the next couple of months. We're, we're talking about the in-state recruiting presence. And uh, you know, when Fuente first came to Virginia tech, he was trying to model the blueprint be set before him and really target Virginia, try to take over the seven, five, seven Virginia beach. And, you know, since then, he said that he's lost track of his Texas connections. Most of his staff has a lot of connections in Texas. And now they're really reaping the benefits from Texas, from North Carolina, from Pennsylvania, from other states. So how sustainable do you think that approach is? Because right now it's paying a lot of dividends for Virginia Tech. They're getting highly ranked kids. And it seems like, you know, the same old, same old four star guys from Nova or 757 want to go to Penn State or Ohio State or Clemson. Do you see that being a sustainable solution to bring in more guys out of state? Or do you think that the formula really has to be uh, attacking the state of Virginia for Virginia Tech to reach that next level? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you get kids where you can get them. Um, I would worry about the sustainability of anything that depends on particular assistant coaches because they never stick around. So if you're if you're trying to build a, a DFW pipeline because you've got two guys on staff that have been have been working those areas for a while, they're not they're going to leave. Like you, you're going to have turnover every single year. Well, this, I don't have data on this, and this would be an interesting thing for you know Simmons or Bud or somebody else to kind of study. But my guess is that if you have somebody that has been aware of what Virginia Tech means and has some 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 childhood connection to it or some Virginia you know cultural connection to it they're going to be a little bit less likely to transfer 
or that they're going to be a little bit more likely to help build that internal unified culture within that locker room, which I think has been part of the problem. And we saw this with Urban Meyer's Florida teams. We saw this a little bit with the end of at the Urban Meyer Ohio State era. We've seen this a couple of times out West. You can bring in a bunch of really talented guys, and but if you can't unify them because they come from all over the place, because they, they have different urban, rural, political, religious, always other backgrounds, it's hard to build a working locker room. And you need that because we have limited time to coach and develop players. So if you think you can build that system outside the state, I'm not saying that's impossible. A lot of schools do that. I mean, like Wyoming, each year has like one Wyoming kid on the team. It's a bunch of Texas kids. They figure it out. You can do it. I think it's going to be a lot easier if you have some kind of nucleus, some backbone of that team, even if they're not your highest regarded kids who have been watching Virginia Tech longer than three years. And that probably means they're either from the northern North Carolina area or from Virginia. Looking at you know, some of the marks under Fuente, it seems like Virginia Tech is constantly hit around that 25 mark, uh, maybe you know, recently uh, you know, a bit below that, but just with how Virginia Tech is able to win a lot of games in the ACC Coastal, how they have connections to a lot of different states and can bring in talent, where do you see like the ceiling for Virginia Tech's recruiting success? Do you think it should be a top 20 recruiting program, top 25? Do you think where they're hitting now is the mark? Uh, you know, How much can they improve? I think you could probably – I don't think right now without somebody just dropping the bag. I don't think this is going to be a blue chip recruiting program. I think you can get kind of close, right? If you're taking 20 kids in this class, do you, I think, do I think you could get seven or eight, four stars? I do. And, 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 you know, can you recruit as well as Nebraska? Like, yeah, I think so. And they're not far off. The, the, the big difference is, can you convince two blue chip kids in state a year or in DC or in, you know, Prince, you know, PG County, Maryland, which is Virginia Junior or something. If you can steal a couple of those kids, because that alone, like that, that's the that's the difference maker. There's a lot of kids in that 84, 85 range all over the country that when the right coaching system and the right nutrition system and the right culture can be effective starters. But you need a couple of guys who have that extra gear. You need to find a couple more fullers. And um, I think I think that's I think that's the big difference. Cause you, you know, Clemson's gonna be able to have that dude at all 22 positions. And you got to think about, I might get eight of them. Where, where, can I, where can I maximize them? Where can I make those count? and make sure I hit on all of those. So I, I don't think you're far off. You can win a lot of games with exactly how you're recruiting. I think you could take a, ne- a step up if you're able to win just a few more of those battles right now where the hat's on the table, but it's going somewhere else. That kind of leads into my question here is that we talk about people on the message boards talk about this constantly, but they always want to recruit better. And... When you look at it, Virginia Tech is a program, you know, the last three or four years of the Frank Beamer era was fighting to maintain full eligibility. Um, Definitely had the one good year with Fuente at the beginning and then 2018 goes six and seven. But is it is it fair to expect a recruiting bump just based off your coaches when maybe the success hasn't translated on the field or? You know, is winning more and more games going to incrementally improve recruiting over time? You, you you wish that it would. You wish that recruiting worked like it does in a video game, where you go six and six, and then eight and four, and then nine and three, and you get better kid, kids every year. It doesn't. It it's not a linear thing. You know, part of that is because of the you know the kids are individuals, right? The the geographic distribution of those kids varies from year to year. 
you might have a year where you're coming off a, a 10 and two season and the Virginia class sucks. <laughs> and there's only like eight kids that are ACC caliber. And you know, if, if the, the boom class happened a different year, maybe you capture some of those a little bit better. And it, it comes down to your relationships and it comes down to what those kids want, right? There are certain kids that Virginia tech's probably never going to get. If you have a kid who wants a Stanford caliber undergraduate education, this is no disrespect. My school's in that same boat. It's hard to sell Virginia Tech or Ohio State or most schools against Stanford. Or if you know, if, if you got a 34 in your ACT and you want to go to Duke, like the kid's probably going to go to Duke. Um, but if, you know, depending on position groups, it's it's some kids are, are going to care about winning. Some kids are going to be this is a business decision. I want to go someplace that's going to get me in the NFL. What is your production record like? Some people want to go someplace that. Uh, is in a big city. Some want to go someplace that's a little bit more rural, uh, you know, a, a family atmosphere. It, it's very different. And every school can't sell the, the same kind of thing. What you All you can do is hope to control the stuff that you can actually control and make sure that your assistant coaches are doing the work to build some of those relationships. You run into problems, I think, when you can't reliably sell anything against the teams that you have to beat. Um, you know, to, 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 you, to use an argument here that, that's in my neck of the woods, right? I think it's harder for Michigan. Because it used to be able to routinely beat Ohio State and Michigan battles, so th- those were those were comparable. And now, if you're some you know, high th- you know, four, fringe four-star offensive tackle in suburban Chicago, you got to think to yourself, maybe I should go to Iowa. That's a good school too. Who gets more dudes in the NFL? Neither of us are going to beat Ohio State anyway. <laughs> maybe maybe I should go to the, or the place where I feel more comfortable. Um, so yeah, I, you, everyone wants to recruit better, of course. And there, there's there's a ceiling, and that ceiling's impacted by demographics and uh, things other than things that have to do with more than just football or, or dropping bags. You know, I'm, I'm pro that. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure a ton better is realistic, especially what's happened on the field. Cause you and I, we remember Michael Vick, we remember orange bowls and sugar bowls, but if you're 19, you don't remember that many really good Virginia tech teams. So then you have to sell that a little bit better. Like the, we kind of forget about this as fans, but the, the memory, football memory of a 17 of year old, it's real short. Like they, they think USC sucks. Um, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. crazy. They, they, you know, the kids next year, they're going to be like, when was Florida State good? Jameis Winston was quarterback when I was in middle school. I wasn't paying attention. And right. yeah, you, 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 they, they have goldfish memories. You got to keep doing stuff. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit now from recruiting. Uh, kind of diving into what's going on now in yeah. college sports landscape. You touched on a little bit earlier talking about, you know, scheduling geographically more often, but there's this, you know, starting to see more and more people talking about this need for realignment to happen, at least on the Olympic sports level to reduce costs or whatever, where you're just playing more schools located close to you. And you wrote a blog on this, I think it was last year. And I, and I did my own little spin on it um, with some major realignment. But um, if you could just explain your thoughts about geographical realignment being the, you know, the focus of the next wave of conference realignment, whenever that happens. Yeah. And and this is something that's been in the news a lot this week because uh, you have people within the, the colonial athletic and the Atlantic 10 and the big East saying like, we need to start some, uh, excuse me, formalized scheduling agreements for, for out-of-conference games. And, and I, it's an especially big deal, I think, within um, Conference USA. So we've had a lot of these G5, these G5 leagues grow 
you know, and, and geographically in, in large swaths. You have all, you know, Old Dominion has to go all the way out to friggin' Texas, you know, multiple times a year for some of these Olympic sports. And if you're an ODU fan, do you care more about dunking on Radford or dunking on people that you actually know, or do you care about West Texas? And that might help you in the conference standings, but if you, you you're an ODU grad, how many UTEP people do you know in, in, in your in your daily life? You know more people at Liberty. You know we know more people at, at Tech and probably ECU than you do some of these these far these far flung schools. And you know, Conference USA is kind of weird because you have you know Marshall and ODU and, and and Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee and some of these places where I think there's a little bit more overlap, and then a bunch of places that aren't. And in the past, that made some sense to maximize television. But especially at CUSA, and we're, we're seeing this, I think, more and more, that money's shrinking. If you're not a big brand, you're not commanding um, a lot of, of, of conventional pay television money anymore. More of that stuff's going into streaming. I think the, the, the CUSA guys are making, I think, fi- around $500,000 million, $500, excuse me, from TV, You know, drop in the bucket compared to what the ACC is getting. And that's a drop in the bucket compared to the Big Ten. So then you have to think about, okay, even before COVID-19, um, tra- travel's expensive. It costs the same amount of money to schlep a softball player to Texas as it does a football player. And one of them is going to make money and one of them is probably not. So you got to figure out what can I do to, to mitigate my travel costs and also increase my ticket sales? Because people are less likely to go to a football game in general. And they're definitely less likely to go next year when they're, they're afraid they're going to catch the Rona. So we have to make sure that we're giving them something that they're emotionally invested in. And that's why you're seeing more of these leagues talk about um, oh, just restricting our non-conference schedule to places where you can go on a bus. And then potentially more of your of your football schedule. Now in the ACC, like, do I think that's going to blow up or anything? You know, probably not. You got a grant of rights agreement. You're getting a lot of television revenue, and and some of the schools that are not super close, I think Virginia Tech fans still care about. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. I imagine you guys care about beating Miami. Yeah, and I, I, I imagine <laughs> yeah. that that's a game that your fan base, uh, you know, is is invested in. So it's going to be a really big deal, I think, for Olympic sports and, and for G5s and, and for some of these non-football D1 schools. And you guys are lucky in that you can hop on a bus and within four hours, there's a bunch of universities that you, that you can play. And if you're playing men's soccer or if you're doing softball or if you're doing you know, gymnastics or something, it may make sense to say, all right, we're not going to play any Big 12 games. We're going to play ECU and we're going to play Radford and we're going to play VMI and we're going to we're going to play do Campbell or, or some of these you know other places. Maybe we'll maybe we'll maybe we'll kick their ass. Maybe we'll crap because we're a gigantic school. Maybe not, uh, but we'll save a lot of money and that's going to put us in a better position to make those sports more sustainable. And I think that's the big realignment focus at this point. It's how do we get smaller rather than how do we get bigger. So so does, does that kill conferences then? If you know you have this huge conference apparatus of Miami playing Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech playing Boston College. And are conferences still a thing if it's for football and men's and women's basketball, maybe? You know, I, I, I honestly think so. You know, those are, those are the big revenue things. But I would not be shocked to see a world where we see more Olympic sports move to different kinds of leagues. And we already see this already, right? Like if you're in the Pac-12, Pac-12 doesn't sponsor men's volleyball. A lot of Pac-12 schools do. So they have their own league. Um, my understanding is that I, I mean I, I'm assuming wrestling is, is is done with with different conference alignment and, and different you know different schools end up doing those kind of things and I think that's okay like do I Notre Dame plays hockey in the Big Ten do I think that that ruins the structural integrity of Notre Dame athletics like no and and you know Ohio State used to not play in the Big Ten and that that was fine too um, for me I think the biggest focus is how can we continue to offer these opportunities for students in a world where we're just not going to have as much money. 
And if that means we have to lay off a couple of ACC administrators and we have to have a spinoff league for ACC soccer and call it something else and invite Marshall or whatever, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I think comparing that to getting rid of sports, I think most people would say, I'm okay. Um, I don't think we're going to have a world where we cut the ACC in half, at least in the near future, and force you guys to play ODU, Marshall, and Liberty every single year. Um, it's, it's please, just, no. That, that, please, no. No. no, no. <laughs> the, the, fin- the finances there are different. But could there be some worlds where you're playing, you're playing James Madison a lot more in other sports? Like, Yeah, I do think that's that could definitely happen. That's everything we have on our end. Uh, I do have one fun question that might hit home with you. Virginia okay. Tech, obviously, uh, and unfortunately, just snapped a 15-year streak over uh, Virginia in the Commonwealth Cup. I believe Ohio State is approaching 10, is it now, over Michigan? That sounds about right. I feel, I, feel, I, I feel like it's like 14 out of 16, but it's, it's getting there to that point. It, it feels to me like Ohio State is this unstoppable force and Michigan is just falling further and further behind. Do you ever see a scenario where Jim Harbaugh gets one over the Buckeyes? Oh, it's definitely happening. Like, I, you know, this, this speaks to generational trauma in college football fandom, right? I was born in 1987. So I remember 90s Ohio State football when, when, when Cooper <laughs> built some really, really good Ohio State teams. Teams that had better talent than Michigan's teams and lost almost every single year. There was a lot of late elementary school, middle school tears of frustration at at, at uh, Lloyd Carr at Michigan. And and, and it, I think if we look back at the last fourteen years, does Virginia Tech always have the best team in those games? No, usually, usually they did, but but not always. But the the sheer historical inertia I think got to some of those Virginia players where that monkey was on their back too much. And, and they blew it. And, and generally, like, these streaks don't get that long because football is a weird sport and these things happen. Like, I definitely think Michigan will beat Ohio State in the next couple of years. That They should have beaten them twice, I think, in the last five. They just, they just choked. Uh, I'm not worried big picture because Ohio State's talent level is better and their institu- institutional commitment is better and I think their coaching is better. But weird things happen in football. You play somebody long enough, they're, 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 they're going to beat you. And, and and when they when that happens, I'm just gonna have to get off the internet for a week because I I <laughs> am, I, am, I allowed, am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Sure. Okay. I, man, I I talked a lot of shit. Right. I sold I sold <laughs> the spout with good t-shirts. Like the, with, with the, with the universe turns around and 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 brings that laser back towards me, which by God I definitely deserve. Um, <laughs> nope. I'm just gonna take a little vacation. Like, nope. Sorry, I'm on the finance beat. Can't hear you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, because, and I will deserve it. I will unquestionably deserve it. Yeah, I will say after Virginia finally snapped the streak, I didn't check Twitter, the message boards for a good three days after that. But Caroline, Caroline did, did talk about nothing else for two straight days. I'm like, I, I'm, oh, I'm very sure. Happy. I just, I just have to do work right now. <laughs> I just know there was that Twitter account that was for the Commonwealth Cup, and it was just like keeping track of how long Virginia Tech has held the. It was like Virginia Tech has held the Commonwealth Cup for five thousand whatever days and it would just post the same thing over and over again and then the yeah. and then like and then that game went final and it was like well got a couple edits to make and then the <laughs> next one like flipped over to virginia's held it for yeah. one day or whatever <laughs> my ear i mean just my earpiece here i'm sorry oh oh mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this this kind of pettiness is the fuel that makes this extremely stupid sport so wonderful. hundred percent. You know, you're a fan. You have to, you have to accept that you don't get to be the one that, that shares the memes 
if you are not occasionally also the mute, that that is that is, <laughs> that is the price we have to pay. Unfortunately, I'm I'm happy to pay it. So far, Virginia Tech's been better at designing a couple logos than UVA has. So, uh, yeah, uh, woof. They paid 40 grand for that thing, too. Like, they, you can, y'all can do that. <laughs> well, there was a logo, Virginia Tech redesigned their, not their athletics logo, but their university logo a couple years back. And they basically just put like a little squiggle in, in the middle of the VT. And people looked up what they paid for it and it was like a million bucks for that. <laughs> No, don't do, don't do it. Yeah. We're we're in, we're in the wrong line of work. Like, yeah. Maybe my, my next career path will just be like adjusting the paint shade like two degrees to the left. And just, uh, yeah. If you're listening, my email was mattbrownohio at gmail dot com. <laughs> I, I would love to visit the University of Illinois. Let's do it. All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Honestly, this has been awesome insight, and a lot of the points you were touching on. You know, we're so tunneled in on the day-to-day operations and just looking at recruits bios and seeing if they still have Virginia Tech commit in them that sometimes we lose track of the bigger picture so we really appreciate you for coming on and to everyone listening right now you can follow him at Matt Brown EP on Twitter Matt do you have anything else you want to plug oh thanks so much it's been my pleasure again if you are interested in the uh, off the field forces that shape what you see on the field Think you'll like extra points. It's at mattbrown.substack.com. Give it a try for free. You get two issues a week for free. Uh, if you want to help me buy some chicken nuggets for my kids, um, now that I don't have a job, day job anymore, uh, you can subscribe for uh, the low price of seven bucks a month or seventy bucks for a year, uh, and get all of that uh, deep historical context and interviews to feed your inner college football nerd. Sweet. And to everyone else, stay safe, and we'll see you again next week. Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.